Welcome back, everybody, into Bill's Chat. On a rare Tuesday morning, we pushed back the release of Bill's Chat this week, obviously, so we could talk about the game that took place on Monday. The Bills and Steelers Super Wildcard game was postponed from originally scheduled to go Sunday at 1 p.m., ended up kicking off Monday at 4.30 due to inclement weather. First of all, I hope all of you out there have stayed safe this weekend, stayed warm this weekend. I am Josh McCarty. With me tonight is not only Luca, but somebody who was actively participating in the crowd at the Bills game today. Luca, before we talk about our reaction to the game, just tell me about the environment at this game today because it looked very, very unique. Um, unique's a good way to put it. Uh, it was an interesting one. I will say I was a little bit more fortunate than most at the game, um, just with how things transpired. Um, and inevitably where I ended up sitting, I will just say that I'm not going to get any specifics or whatnot, but from our vantage point and everything with what you could see with the snow and the situation of that point, um, it, it definitely looked like a unique environment. I will say, uh, I love snow being involved from a fan aspect because it just adds a dynamic. Um, I will say this though, the snowball thing, I don't have many problems with, but there were times where I'm watching snowballs literally hitting, hitting cameramen and stuff yeah. like almost to an intentional point. <clears throat> yeah. And I got a problem with that. Like those guys are just doing their jobs. Like you're just being an ass. If you're doing something of that nature, we'll just put that aside though. Overall, the experience was unique, fun, enjoyable. Um, it was cold. It wasn't overwhelmingly cold. I am very happy. The wind was not much of a factor because I think the wind would have, of course, escalated that problem uh, immensely. But overall, in the stadium, with the snow kind of filling majority of the stadium, making a lot of the stairs somewhat unsafe for that matter. But regardless, mm -hmm. a unique and careful experience where you needed to just be mindful of what you were doing. Um, it was fun. You had built-in snow ice cup uh, or ice cup uh, cup holders. So that was nice. But yeah. overall, it was it was a unique, fun experience. And of course, capped off by a Bills win so that. You know, it's not like I had to walk out or all of us or any of us had to walk out of there in misery. It was just with the excitement of understanding what was coming in the future due to the result of a win. 31 to 17, the Bills get the victory over the Pittsburgh Steelers today. They increase their winning streak to six games. Sean McDermott, Luca, now has playoff victories over three former Super Bowl winning head coaches. You have Bill Belichick, you have John Harbaugh, and now you can add Mike Tomlin to the list. And he gets a crack at a fourth one next week, one that he's 0-2 against in the postseason. Andy Reid will talk a little bit about that game coming up. Let's talk about this one, Luca. Uh, we'll, we'll kick it off how we normally do. When the clock hit zero and the time ran out on the Steelers' last drive, and it was evident that the Bills were going to secure this game, get it to the garage, what was going through your mind? Uh, well, personally, I will say it was uh, dreading the long walk back to where I ended up parking because that was a disaster of a situation today. But um, putting aside those actual personal things, uh, just all it was it was one of those things where myself, my buddy I was with, the friends I was even sitting with on top of that, all it was even in that fourth quarter, like as it was getting down to the realization that we were going to put this one home, it was like, okay, it's all talk was about the excitement in Patrick Mahomes coming to the stadium next week. It, like, it, it was exciting that we won this game. It's exciting that we won it in the fashions for the most part that we did um, where it never really felt like 
it was kind of out of reach, although I'm sure we'll get into that more a little bit later here. But regardless, when the game was truly ending, it was kind of like that thought of probably what you're seeing a lot of the players in that locker room right now, where it was enjoyable. It was an enjoyable experience to get that win, but all focus, all eyes, everything is just like, okay, we have Patrick Mahomes. We have Kansas city coming to this stadium in six days. And that's exciting. Um, everything like the emotions of that was kind of just starting to build already as kind of the game was wrapping up no disrespect to the Steelers and stuff like that I feel like all things considered they played a good game in their own right for for the most part like they did what they could essentially it's just there's only so much you can do with Josh Allen on the other side if you are the Pittsburgh Steelers and you did not have your game record uh kind of counterpunch with TJ Watt so um when the game was wrapping up it was excitement for both the win and the result itself, but immediately as I'm sure everyone kind of shared, it was all eyes on Kansas city, all excitement about Kansas city, Mahomes coming here, that first ever road playoff for road playoff game for Mahomes will be here in Buffalo. And that's just an exciting thing to keep that. Even as that game was wrapping up was just kind of consuming my brain. It'll be Patrick Mahomes' first time ever playing in Buffalo in front of fans. He did it in 2020, the COVID year, on what was that weird Monday night game that was, I believe, supposed to be a Thursday. I don't, I forget how it all worked out because of the Titans game getting uh, rescheduled. But uh, empty stadium crowd, the Chiefs ended up winning that game. Um, yeah, and I think you said it best. No disrespect to the Steelers at all. I hope that's not taken this way, but. The Bills were a 10-point favorite for a reason. I think it was pretty evident early on in this game who the more talented team was with the much more talented quarterback. So as these injuries started piling up and the Bills lost Christian Benford and then they lost Terrell Bernard, he was carted off almost immediately. And then even Sam Martin pulls a hamstring when the Bills had that 21 to nothing lead, um, you know, and it ends up being 21 to 7 at halftime. My mind never really got to the point, Luca, of like fear of it costing the Bills the Steelers game because even as the defense was getting leaky and even as the Steelers closed it within one touchdown, in my mind, I knew as long as the Bills held serve on offense, they would be fine and the Steelers were already down TJ Watt. They had just lost Joey Porter for the rest of the game and it sure felt to me like there wasn't a huge threat that the Bills were going to lose this game. Maybe other people felt otherwise, but... I never took that overly seriously. We can talk about that in a little bit, but all these injuries, when you know what's up next, you win and you play the Chiefs, it, you start to think about, oh man, are, are they going to be without Terrell Bernard? Are they going to be without Christian Benford? They still don't have Rasul Douglas. Now here's Kyrie Elam playing very important snaps for this team. AJ Klein off the couch is now your best linebacker on the field. Dorian Williams, who they clearly midway through the season decided, okay, we got a red shirt. This kid, he is not ready to play important snaps is now playing meaningful snaps in a playoff game. And then in the second half, Taron Johnson goes out with a head injury and Cam Lewis, who was supposed to be playing the Taylor rap role gets kicked down to nickel corner. And now you have DeMar Hamlin playing that third safety role. It was an absolute mash unit of defensive players out there. And the bills held the Steelers to 17 points to their credit. But it's very easy to think, okay, that was Mason Rudolph. This is going to be Patrick Mahomes. And this is going to be a Steelers postgame show. Luca, what did you think about, let's go through the injuries first. Because I, I think everybody's mind, in my opinion, especially the fact that it's already Monday. Like, we're recording this on Monday. You're hearing this on Tuesday. Like, we're already 
almost to the middle of the game week on the Chiefs with the way the schedule lines up. When you go through these injuries, here's what we know. Terrell Bernard looked awful. At first, you're thinking it could be an Achilles injury. It could be an ankle fracture. Ian Rappaport reported uh, about an hour ago, and I'm, we're saying this at 9.30 on Monday, so, or 10.30 on Monday, so around 9.30, about halftime of the, the Bucks eagles game, that Terrell Bernard's um, x-rays came back negative, which is a great sign. And right now, it's just a sprain. Now, that'll determine how long he's going to be out, but it leaves the window open for Bernard to actually come back. Uh, Sean McDermott said after the game that Tyrell Dodson was probably closer to playing than Rasul Douglas, but he wasn't certain about that. And then Rasul Douglas told the athletic that he could have played today, but the bills decided to give him an extra week. He will be out there for the chiefs game. So deductive reasoning tells me that Tyrell Dodson and Rasul Douglas will be out there for the chiefs game. And then you think about the fact that uh, Terrell Bernard, very iffy, you hope you can get Christian Benford back. Taron Johnson left with a head injury that was never officially called a concussion. And the, the, the detectives on Twitter, who I love, noticed that in the video the Bills posted of their post-game celebration, Taron Johnson was right in the middle of it. And that would be against concussion protocol if he was celebrating with his teammates, like screaming and yelling. And since they never classify it as a concussion, that's probably a great sign that he's not actually going to be in the concussion protocol, which means Taron Johnson will probably be back for next week. Luca, as scared as I was after the game ended, and, and the Terrell Bernard thing is massive. There's no other way around it. I feel like as bad as it looked, the Bills probably came away with it going off of what we know now as as well as they possibly could have with as bad as it looked. Um, Yeah, if, if you can't just say, hey, it would be nicer if those injuries never occurred, essentially. Right. Yes, it, basically what transpired, especially with the reactions – more specifically to the Bernard situation. Um, it seems like they've walked away. Okay. The um, Christian Benford one, I, I do get really concerned about it. it. It's just one of those ones where you can see a clear knee concern there where you, you, you know, naturally are worried um, and you, you want to hear kind of a report on that one, but regardless, it's one of those ones where so even on the Taron Johnson injury, um, uh, shout out my buddy. He he even kind of pointed it out. We we noticed Taron Johnson jogging off the field towards the tunnel, and then all of a sudden, I want to say it was a third down play for Pittsburgh um, in the red zone, and it was going tunnel side. And he even like kind of stopped at the tunnel entry, turned around, and wanted to watch the play and how things went. To me, that's the attitude of an individual who seems in good headspace. Um, yeah, he's probably being evaluated for what, it, whatever they're calling it head injury wise, but it doesn't seem like a concussion, like in the sense of if you are in concussion protocol, if they're checking concussion or whatever you want to call it, it feels like something where they wouldn't be allotting him to essentially sit at his own Liberty and watch the play, whatever he wants to and stuff like that. He seemed okay ish. We'll call it. So that seemed positive as you're now pointing out in the post game, he was with the team. So that one seems far less concerning. And I think Taron Johnson might be the biggest other than Terrell Bernard when it comes to the chiefs next week, just because you need that disruptor for your Kelsey situation. And Taron Johnson, of course, is one of your key guys, especially since you don't have Milano available as he would be another one. Um, it, it's, it, you really walk away from this game um, feeling okay about the injury situation just because 
what seemed like in the game, like you're talking about where Bernard, Taron Johnson, even potentially, but then Benford as well. Those three guys, all three major key contributors to the defense all seem to sustain somewhat serious injuries. And then now already after the game, it seems like you dodged two of those three bullets knowingly. And we just have to wait back on what the Benford situation is um, before seeing if that third bullet could even potentially be avoided. So you have to feel okay about that situation and, and whatnot. I, I will say it's like, it's one of those things where it did get to one point where in this game, you're just like, man, you just need to get through this game healthy because mm -hmm. as you even pointed out, it's like, it never felt at loss. It never felt like there was ever a moment where you truly believe that the Steelers could fight their way back to a tie game and, and even potentially get their way in position to win the game. And yet you don't like, it's like, you're not resting guys. You would never do that. It's the playoffs. You don't, you just don't do that. I mean, as it is McDermott already took a huge gamble with the Douglas situation with Rasul being like, Hey, you might've been okay to play, but we're going to rest you for one more week. So we can make sure you're good next week. It's like, well, technically there might not be a next week. So that's ballsy. Um, you'd like to think there's a next week considering the matchup, but regardless, um, it's you never rest guys, but you're just like, please just get through this healthy at one point. Like it seemed like those injuries all happened kind of within a close relation to each other. And as, as you mentioned, it's like all of a sudden AJ Klein, Dorian Williams are your key contributors at the linebacker position for this, for the remainder of the game. And you're, you're praying. I will say Dorian Williams made a really nice play downfield, just kind of hunting this guy down, wrapping him up and getting it taken care of at one mm -hmm. point. Um, that's the thing you want to see out of a guy like him. It's not like it was all sunshine and roses out of him, but regardless, if that was what we needed to get through the Steelers game, so be it. Now we're just going to hope that, as you pointed out, Dodson's okay and he comes back. Rasul Douglas sounds like he's okay and he's going to come back for the Chiefs. And thankfully, we find ourselves in a position where maybe even Bernard could potentially, if pain tolerance allows, come back and play and stuff like that. So it's like bullets dodged, fingers crossed. Thankfully, it seems like we didn't have too many serious injuries that the Chiefs game might not be in serious doubt or question marks just due to the unfortunate injury situation the Bills could have been in. The uh, boy, the Eagles <laughs> have gotten really bad. <laughs> I noticed at football. your attention was drawn away a little bit there as we're recording. Well, yeah. wow, you, you're a little bit ahead of me, but. Jalen Hurts with one of the worst plays you'll ever see from a quarterback. And it just so happened to be in a playoff game where he scrambles around, goes back like 10 yards in the end zone, and then throws it away to nobody, takes a safety. And then Trey Palmer just gets a catch and a run where like four guys had a chance to tackle him. Whatever. Their season is done. They are a lost cause at this point in time. The signs have been there for a while. Um, I have a theory. And I'm not saying the Bills were like looking past the Steelers, but when you start looking at the evidence of McDermott basically telling Rasul Douglas, hey, hey, you know, we'll, we'll get this one without you. And then if he actually is accurate about Tyrell Dotson being closer, then maybe the same thing happened there. Like, hey, why, let's get you to 100 percent and uh, go ahead and, uh, you know, for, for the, the bigger test next week. And then you you see the thing about Taron Johnson, where he was ruled out almost immediately, but never actually got labeled with an official concussion. And he was doing things outside of concussion protocol in the locker room. It just makes you think, you know, it's not that the Bills were saying, hey, we can beat the Steelers with anybody. But, you know, when Taron Johnson went out, the Bills had a multi-score lead. And they're pro 
I think the fact that McDermott is a very logical thinker, he's always thinking two steps ahead. He knows that the Chiefs are already going to have a two-day rest advantage on these bills. And hard playing surface, cold weather, hard hitting teams. It would not stun me at all, Luca, if as these injuries popped up, McDermott was going to continue to err on the side of caution in this game, basically rolling the dice of we can beat the Steelers with what we have. What we can't have is forcing Taron Johnson out there and then he gets a concussion and now he can't play because it'd be a second one of the year against the Chiefs. Or we're going to force Christian Benford back out there. I'm not as convinced the Christian Benford injury is nothing, by the way. I'm just, I'm his, his looked, his didn't look great. Um, but we don't know. But like if you would have had Rasul Douglas play at 80% and then on the slick surface, he does something and now Kyrie Elam has to start against the Chiefs, you would never forgive yourself. I think there's a chance that the Bills were just being a little, little more cautious than usual. Um, you know, th that's just a theory I have. Maybe it's more hope than anything. Uh, but let's talk about this game. And I want to start with the offensive side because I think what's funny about these Bills is during this five-game winning streak to close out the season and now six when you factor in the playoff game, but really the five, the offense hadn't really exploded. You had the, the huge James Cook game against Dallas, but it's not like Allen was on all cylinders. I thought today Allen was fantastic. 21 of 30. Now that the total passing yardage was only 203 yards, but three touchdowns through the air. James Cook, 18 carries for 79 yards. Um, it's becoming more and more evident to me that Dalton Kincaid is way more of a factor in this offense than Dawson Knox. Three catches, 59 yards and a touchdown. The huge trust ball from Josh Allen on the first or second drive where he, he's one-on-one -on -one with a linebacker and Allen just puts it up and says, go get it. You saw Diggs become a huge part of the game plan, got two design passes early on. Allen looked for him on several third downs. The one third and long scramble where he goes around and finds Diggs was fantastic. Um, it was kind of a, a paint by numbers scenario filling in for Gabe Davis, a lot of Shakir, some Isabella mixed in there. Hardy even had a nice 34 yard catch. Didn't see much Sherfield out there. Um, but I thought Luca, I was as impressed with this bills offense on the whole, and maybe most specifically Josh Allen, as I have been during this entire six game winning streak. And I thought there was a lot of tempo on the first drive, a lot of aggression on the first drive. And it's not like this team went out there and did what they did to the Patriots several years ago and put up almost 50 points, but I thought they were efficient, they were aggressive, and they were decisive in what they were wanting to do in a less-than-ideal playing environment. And I think the offense is where my head's at as far as what carried the day. Oh, 1,000%. The offense carried this day. And it's not even saying that the defense was poor. It's just one of those things where due to even the circumstances that we already highlighted, it's like the defense was kind of holding on for dear life at one point, you know, with a lot of depth individuals playing key snaps in uh, situations. But the reason the game was never in doubt, even when it got to a point where it was, as you mentioned, a one score game, the offense was going to do its thing. The, the offense was churning out drive after drive for the most part of impressive uh, kind of just management, understanding the game effectiveness. As you said early on, the aggression that they showed with the offense specifically was very impressive. Um, I will say, like you even mentioned the Kincaid thing. We talked about it before even we hit record that second throw to Kincaid in the end zone. That ball couldn't have been any more perfect. 
it was right at the hands. It's just the linebacker who you even mentioned is not exactly known for his coverage abilities. Just made a beautiful play on it. Perfectly timed. Just got it out of there. Cause if he did not put that arm in there, like he did, that is an easy, easy catch for a guy of Kincaid stature. Um, Overall, the the offense was nice. I mean, the Deontay Hardy catch, the one catch he had, was honestly enjoyable to see. It was it was a a usual or we'll call it a normal wide receiver play for Deontay Hardy, not a gadget play of any sorts. Mm-hmm. And he kind of turned it into something huge, which is awesome to see. Um, overall, just the offense was extremely productive, and the rare thing that they did was essentially be efficient and, and responsible on the offensive side. You didn't, we didn't even see if anyone bet that Josh Allen over a half uh, interception or over one and a half turnover. I saw a line of you were unfortunately a loser. Um, But fortunately for all bills fans, that's a great thing. It's a great sign. Didn't even have the arm punt interception that, you know, I, I even assume essentially is going to be happening once a game, the digs throw, you mentioned uh, the key law third and long, that was even one where you knew Allen was feeling good about himself in a game where he wasn't statistically dominating. That one is he's rolling to his right. He looks over to his left completely across his body, finds digs where there is truly not really anyone open. He just makes it happen in that situation. There is only one or two guys that make that throw. And 17, of course, is the one who truly does. It was just an impressive day by Allen. It was an impressive day by the offense and just an extremely efficient one that I do believe they should be able to build confidence on, you know, everyone across the board essentially should be able to build confidence on going into next week because there's really, you would really have to nitpick and, and really try hard to find something you didn't like about the game on the offensive side of the ball. Yeah. And um, I think, when you look at the way they ran the ball, I still think it's very interesting that Ty John, I mean, James Cook, 18 to 79, Ty Johnson, eight for 26, Josh Allen, eight for 74, for what it's worth. Latavius Murray, zero carries. Like Ty Johnson is legitimately RB2 in this offense, and it's not even close. They aren't even trying to hide it. There's no game plan specific. It's it's James Cook. When you need a blow, Ty Johnson comes in, and hey, Latavius Murray, you can just block here and there, and maybe we'll throw you a pass, and you probably won't catch it. Um, that's that's kind of what's going on with him. Let's talk about the end of the half. So the Bills are up 21 to 7. We'll even go back a little little ways before that. The Bills are up 21 to nothing. They tried out Tyler Bass for a field goal, and the field goal gets blocked. On the return, or as the ball is bouncing now back in the Bills, the Bills in because it was blocked so hard that it crosses the 50. Sam Martin is running as fast as he can to try to get back there and knock down any stealer that tries to pick it up. And he pulls his hamstring and that puts the bills in a tough spot because now they don't know if they're going to have a punter, but also if they're going to have a holder on field goal. So the, the Steelers cap off that drive with the Deontay Johnson touchdown pass and or touchdown reception. The bills get the ball back with like a minute and a half to go in the first half, no timeouts. And you're thinking, okay, the bills are going to get the ball in the second half. This is a classic double dip situation. The bills are a little aggressive on first down. And they hurry up to the line. They get a completion over the middle. And then Josh Allen takes a sack. And that's a, that's the point where the Bills just kind of throw in the white towel. And they're like, let's get to halftime. A lot of folks on Twitter were thinking, okay, the Bills kind of turtled here. They should have been more aggressive. I came on the built-in Buffalo halftime show, Luke, and I said, the worst thing the Bills could have done there is be too aggressive because they didn't know the status of their punter, Sam Martin. The sack put them in second and very long. 
Steelers had three timeouts. You had a two touchdown lead and you were getting the ball back in the, in the second half. The worst thing you could do there on that second and long is force something into coverage. Now you get an incompletion or worst case, an interception. Now it's third and long. And now you're going to be punting on fourth down from your own end without knowing if you're going to have a punter all for what to get to field goal range only to find out you may not have a holder. Like at that point in time, I thought the bills who are going to get the benefit of the doubt from me, that if things are normal, they're going to be aggressive. They read the room, right? And they said, there's no need to push the envelope here. Let's get to halftime. Let's regroup. Let's figure out what's going on with Sam Martin. Let's figure out what he can and can't do. Let's not push the envelope here and take what's a two touchdown lead. Plus us getting the ball in the second half and shrink it down because we're unnecessarily aggressive. I am absolutely cool with the fact that the bills just let the clock tick at that point. You know, that's a really interesting point you bring up. Um, in stadium, in the moment, I wasn't thrilled with that. I'm not one of the people that boo. I'm not ever the person yeah. that boos. Like the, unless you're the Sabres and you're just, you know, let in four and it's just really frustrating watching you. I'm not sitting there booing what you're doing. Um, I will say in again, though, in the moment, I was a little bit upset about it. I like to always I, I'm just an always foot on the gas. Like I, I, I truly as long as you have Josh Allen, as long as you have Diggs foot on the gas like what are we doing here run your offense try to do everything you can maximize opportunities so on so forth but sitting here now hearing out what you're saying i will say the sam martin aspect of it and the unknown of if you could even technically punt the ball away to be safe about it if that situation happened that now does make sense like it, it it does change my opinion and me being almost okay with it. It's it's one of those things where, yeah, you're absolutely right. If if something happens where essentially you, you've turned yourself into a position where you're no longer in any sort of manageable down and distance, which, as you said, the sack kind of complicated that or just made that the situation, it, it's now one of those things where you truly need to manage the game in that moment, even if you did want to keep the foot on the gas you don't know if you can safely maintain field position to the point where you force the Steelers then to essentially kneel it out, run it out, whatever you want to call it at that point in time. If they maybe, I mean, maybe they try to push the ball down the field at that point to get points. You would think that they would do that in a playoff game, but regardless, you can't even safely get it down the field potentially because you're without that individual that you need in order to do that. And you're not probably asking Tyler Bass to do it, although in an emergency situation, they probably do. That's just probably not great for him, especially coming off a situation where the last time he swung his leg, it was a very poor field goal yeah. attempt that was yeah. blocked. So it, it's that is a great point. And honestly, Josh, I'm happy you brought that up because in the moment, at the stadium, things like that sitting there, I was disappointed that they didn't go for it and they weren't putting the foot on the gas. But I will say I, you know, at halftime and whatnot, I was sitting there like, well, we do get the ball back in the second half to start and everything of that nature. It's like things will be okay. And it's it's still it's 21-7, and it doesn't even feel like the Steelers are within two scores of that game at that moment in time. Feels like the Bills are controlling everything about that game. The aspect, why am I gonna sit here and get upset? Because the Bills weren't aggressive enough with no timeouts and a minute 39 left after a couple plays didn't go their way. So it's 
That's a very, very good point. Honestly, I, I'm I'm happy you you kind of brought that up because that's a good thing to kind of paint perspective on because I would think most individuals, especially the ones that were at the stadium, are probably were upset about that situation in the heat of the moment. Yeah, it was a theme of the chat at halftime. <laughs> a lot of people <laughs> were wondering about it, and I just kind of walked through it. Now, look. I was confident the Bills would start the second half and go down and get some points. They they hadn't shown a lot of resistance, the Steelers. Uh, but what I didn't anticipate was Joe Brady would dial up a perfect um, RPO that goes right through Dawson Knox's hands, and he could have caught that and run for probably another 15 or 20 yards. And instead, the Bills end up taking a sack on the next play, and they go three and out, and then the Steelers go down and get a field goal, and then the game starts feeling a little closer than it probably should have. Um, so I watched the Packers and – Cowboys play. And one of my takeaways was, wow, in the last couple drafts, the Packers have done a fantastic job of surrounding Jordan Love with talent. They have the receiver Dobbs. They have the receiver Reed. They have the two tight ends in Kraft and um, um, Mc, Mc, not McBride. Um, I can't think of his name. Um, anyway, the two tight ends. Musgrave. Musgrave thank you. <laughs> uh, and I'm thinking, man, they've really hit on the draft. And now I'm sitting here. Gabe Davis was out today. And I'm looking at this box score and I'm kind of replaying the game in my head. Dalton Kincaid was fantastic. Three for 59, one touchdown, big catches all around. Then you have James Cook, skill position player drafted last year, 18 carries, 79 yards, four catches for five yards. That's kind of weird, but obviously a huge part of the offense. And then last year, a fifth round receiver, Khalil Shakir, three catches for 31 yards, but maybe the play of the day. Uh, right up there with Josh Allen's touchdown run where he breaks the tackle of Nika Fitzpatrick and runs all the way to the end zone, uh, defies the physics of, of the human body and stays off the ground. And I just start thinking like, man, Brandon Bean has, has done well in these drafts of supplementing this roster the last couple of years with skill position players. Now, look, we have an entire offseason for me to bang the drum of. They still need a wide receiver early and a wide receiver in the mid rounds to fill out this roster. But on a day when Gabe Davis wasn't playing and on a day when Dawson Knox, despite the fact that he caught the first touchdown of the game was kind of a non-factor in the passing game. They needed people to step up and Luca, it doesn't matter who steps up. You mentioned Hardy who has been kind of a, a, a nothing on this offense all year long. And, and you've been kind of angry more so about the usage of Hardy and not necessarily the player of Hardy, because we've seen how explosive he can be with the ball in his hands punt return last week. Uh, the catch and run against uh, Kansas City, uh, the, the play today, maybe they're just not using him right. But when you see three players that were all drafted in the last two drafts step up in a playoff game, I think that gives fans a lot of reason to be excited. And I don't know if, if I mean, I think Kincaid's the one I'm most excited about because he looks like an absolute star to me. Um, but I think there's a lot to be excited about this roster moving forward where it, at coming into the season, it was like, whoa, Sherfield and Hardy on one-year deals. Davis is going to be a free agent. Uh, Dawson Knox's contract is kind of like an anchor on this roster. We don't know what James Cook is. It, it makes you feel about feel good about where the weapons are and what the weapons can be moving forward in these playoffs because we don't know the status of some of these injured players on defense, but when you look at the fact that if the Bills are going to get this parade we hope for in about four weeks, they're going to have to go through Patrick Mahomes, probably Lamar Jackson, maybe the 49ers. This offense is going to have to be capable of scoring 30 to 40 points on any given Sunday or Saturday. And um, I think seeing the contributions from guys like Shakir, like Cook, like Kincaid at such a young age in such a big moment can only give you optimism. I will say this, Josh. 
I'm going to correct you on something. You said any given Sunday or Saturday. There's no more Saturdays in our future. These That's are only true. Sundays. We know we're playing Sunday next week, and then it's Sunday if they're in the conference <laughs> champion. And, of course, Super Bowl, last time I checked, is always on a Sunday in itself. But And we also know that every game <laughs> the Bills play until the season ends is Nance Romo. Oh, yeah. Look at that. <laughs> Lucky Look Nance that. and Romo. Boom. Perfect. Um, As if we didn't have them enough already this season. Yeah. So, yeah, it's it, it is a weird dynamic with this offense weapons-wise. I think your point on the Packers in bringing them up is if it's a fascinating conversation to be had because on one hand you can go, okay, maybe our weapons are a little bit better off. It seems like Shakir is finally, of course, continuing to blossom in his own right. seems like Hardy, maybe they're finally realizing how to utilize him a little bit. Like you've said, it is still one of my little frustrations that they don't seem to like to use him as a regular receiver, even though he is fully capable. Um, especially when he chose in the limited times that he does it, that he can do things and turn it upfield and make explosive plays on a team that doesn't quite have that at that position. Uh, Dalton Kincaid's incredible. And it does seem like it's one of those things where they absolutely hit on that draft pick. But I also, in a weird way, Josh, I would say I'm kind of, I love you bringing up the Packers because the Packers are showing you why you should invest multiple drafts on multiple different weapons to see truly what you can get. Because they got to a point where they looked around the room and they felt comfortable enough that it's like, we don't need to bring in a veteran presence. We're going to roll with these guys, even with as young as they are. And we're going to see how this goes. And there were some serious growing pains with that offense and those weapons, but they clicked. They figured it out. They got it going at the right time. And Dallas, unfortunately, learned the very hard lesson of just how good that offense could be and how young and just how good they are. And it's like, you see that. And then you know that they're all one going to be around for a while because they're absolutely controlled monetarily for a couple more years, at least. And they, they just are collectively growing as a unit with this young quarterback that they're grooming as well, that that's just the right way to do it. And the bills haven't quite gotten there yet, but to put it back to a positive light draft picks, and things that they have invested in have put them in a better situation where a Davis injury like they suffered going into this was not detrimental. It wasn't basically game over for the offense. They had other individuals they could plug and play, especially young ones like Kincaid and Shakir that could fill those major holes, fill major roles, make impactful plays and get the job done. What this should teach the both the Green Bay Packers situation and us seeing kind of major impact out of these young guys that they've hit on in the draft. Now, what that should teach them is a little bit. Look forward in 2024 NFL draft. You should probably be taking a couple more swings on some offensive weapons and seeing what you can truly get, especially considering what the potential talent pool looks like at that receiver or receiving like positions in this upcoming draft, because there are a plethora of talented individuals that they probably could utilize for future runs, not to get ahead of ourselves, mm -hmm. but it is one of those things where it's working out. Okay. Right now, they seem to be in a better position than what we thought in the preseason, all things considered, but then that Packers, I love you bringing that up because it does just actually put that thing in my head where it's like, man, if they did maybe take one or two more swings on a receiving weapon and we sat here and we really kind of had a nice kind of deep situation where you could kind of game plan around an individual or so and not really kind of 
have to call up Isabella to be your jet sweep motion guy, pre-snap and stuff of that nature. It's like you would probably be in an even better position. So we're good. We're okay. Things are working out right now. It feels okay, especially if Gabe Davis can come back healthy. But that Packers thing now just does put that little thing of, man, it would be nice to have a couple more uh, salary-controlled, young, Mm. promising receiving weapons to really bump this thing up a notch. And that's a conversation we can have down the road. There was a path, I think, to seeing the game play out today and thinking, man, this offense might be better off without Gabe Davis. I'm not there. I think Gabe Davis is still a very impactful player if you keep um, the actual ability of Gabe Davis in the proper context. I don't think he's a number one receiver future in this league. I, I don't think he should be an every down wide receiver too, but he is a very good downfield threat. He's a big bodied receiver. Um, he stresses levels of the defense that the Bills weren't really able to stress today. And I do think he's a guy that's proven he plays well in big moments. So I absolutely hope he's out there uh, for the Chiefs game next week. But I, I sure hope that it's not like, hey, Davis is back. Now he's going to get 100% of the snaps. And we're going to take um, Hardy and Shakir off the field. Like maybe continue to mix these guys. And the Bills do have Justin Shorter coming back next year. So we'll see what he is. And they will absolutely draft a receiver at some point early in the draft. All right. I want to talk about Sean McDermott, Luca. I thought this was a very strong Sean McDermott day. Starting off with um, early on in the game, and you probably even got a better view of this at the game than was even on TV. It was clear to me that he had a plan for Mason Rudolph. And Rudolph, it was it was so obvious on TV, had a pre-snap read, had predetermined where he's going to go with the ball. McDermott did what he does all the time, changes the picture as soon as the ball is snapped. And Rudolph telegraphed a throw right into the teeth of the coverage of the defense. Lucky they weren't intercepted. There was no throw to make. Ended up throwing a couple balls out of bounds. Um, I thought this was a strong McDermott day, both from X's and O's, withstanding an onslaught of injuries, where at one point in time he was down to two backup cornerbacks, a backup nickelback, and two backup linebackers. Like that's everybody but your safeties and your back seven is backups at that point in time. And I thought McDermott was savvy with his challenges. I thought he should have gone two for two with challenges. Um, the, the the fumble recovery by Bernard was a great challenge. And then the non-fumble reco- fumble recovery on the sideline, which we still never got an explanation of what the referees saw because everybody was going nuts thinking there's clear and disputable evidence that that ball never touched out of bounds on Friermuth. And the Bills did clearly recover it, but whatever. I thought from the, and, and then the way he managed the game taking the foot off the pedal a little bit when it was clear that the only way the bills were going to lose this game is they were overly aggressive, kind of like the, the pre halftime scenario we talked about with the clock management, a lot of adversity and to get a victory over a super bowl winning head coach and Mike Tomlin. I thought this was a very strong McDermott day. That's it. Sorry. You caught me off guard. Did they not do a good job <clears throat> showing that fumble review and everything of that nature on TV? So they showed Fryermuth fumbling. Yep. And then the the biggest point of contention was, did it possibly bump into his helmet while he was touching out of bounds? And that's what ruled it out of bounds. But then there was one angle they showed on TV where it didn't. And then whoever the bill was that recovered it, I don't remember who it was that like fell on it, ne- never went out of bounds. Yeah. So there's one angle they showed in-house that I think pieced together with another angle even before it gets to the point where it's bouncing on his helmet, what I will say is this, and this is not like for sure. It's just, to me, it made sense as soon as I saw it, even before they officially ruled it. Cause I initially, when they were showing replays, I was even like, yeah, that's a, that's a fumble. That's a recovery. So on and so forth. Then they, they were showing a couple angles. Then they showed this one where essentially you see it pre that bounce that then kicks up to his helmet. 
he's still in contact with it from the appearance of it before it even does that bounce and his foot's touching out of bounds already. Mm. So therefore the ball is ruled out of bounds. Just like, you know, in every situation, you can't be touching out of bounds and touching the ball. That's just, it's a dead ball at that point. So I'm assuming that's what it was because it got to a point where they, cause I don't know if they show the feet of what the ref's looking at, but it even got to a point where they, they were showing the side angle, not to get off topic of the McDermott thing. Cause I want to get to that, but mm-hmm. then they were showing the side angle and it was kind of like they were just going back and forth and you could just see between a Bills player's leg, legs, I want to say, where the f- moment that Friar Muth's foot was hitting the ground. And I think that's what they were determining and looking at. And it kind of painted the picture. It's like, that's what happened. So I guess if they didn't show that on TV, I'm sorry for that. Um, well, so but- at the very least, the, it wasn't <laughs> conclusive that they should overturn it. Oh, for sure. Yeah, okay. I would I would I would 100% agree with that. As soon as they showed that one angle, like I'm saying, where it was like, okay, it definitely looks like he's still touching it. And then there's a really good chance that his foot has come down out of bounds now at that moment in time, which then unfortunately for the Bills rules it out of bounds, even though technically the ball is not actually out of bounds. That's just how the rules work. So um, yeah, that's probably realistically what it was. Not that we have an official response on it. So regardless, though, back to the McDermott, I love him challenging that, by the way, because it in the moment on the initial replays we're even looking at the stadium and I'm assuring me, assuming the guys he has upstairs, it did truly look like that. It's just, that's one of those finite details where you're like, ah, oh, crap, it may not have worked out. Um, excuse me. Uh, so he did have a really good game. I will say that was very apparent. Like what you're saying early on, it was the classic disguise pre-snap post-snap, just completely different looks, give them different ideas of what's happening. Make, hit Mason Rudolph essentially question what he's seen for that split second to buy his defensive line in the pass rush a moment in time, as well as then obviously cover downfield, whatever is needed to be covered. Um, I, even as the injuries were stacking up though, that's when, you know, people were like, Oh, the Steelers. I, I heard a couple of people going, the Steelers have figured out this defense. They figured it out. It's like, no, what's actually happening is McDermott abandoned disguising pre-snap because he couldn't. Like he just couldn't do it anymore. Like you had Dane Jackson and Elam out there. He's not doing it with those individuals. And on top of it, Bernard is out. Now you're doing it with age. Now you have AJ Klein and Dorian Williams. Like there's not enough guys you can trust out there to truly do it. So the only thing he was really doing at that point was starting to shuffle around what he wanted to show out of the two safeties, mainly with Poyer and Hyde. And then obviously if they were going into dimes and stuff, then moving those three guys around or so whatever the situation was safety wise, he was moving the safeties around. But beyond that, he couldn't do anything because he couldn't trust anyone else. He needed guys like Dorian Williams and Elam who struggled to understand basic assignments. He just needed them to do a job as best as they could. And it just, unfortunately, that's something that even a guy like Mason Rudolph can understand when guys are in the league long enough, they start to recognize basic things. So it's just one of those things. So that aside, I do believe I'm with you. McDermott had a very strong game. I love the early challenge. I feel like that first one that he won, that is one that I don't know if McDermott necessarily challenges all the time. And he absolutely should have. He won it, of course. And it made a lot of sense. Like it to me showed confidence. It, it, it showed that he's confident in what he wants to achieve. And he's truly starting to lose that kind of frail or questionable, kind of characteristic he's had in big games, postseason games and stuff like that. And I think he's starting to kind of find his way and find his confidence in what he needs to do as a head coach, as a leader of a team 
and kind of find his way to success. And there was a lot of strong moments in this game that really showed that. And even as the injuries stacked up, even as things were going on with the defense, he kind of did the best he could patching it together and putting them in the best positions possible to kind of see the game out. And that's all you can ask for at that point, especially considering all the depth pieces out there. I mean, it was a real 50, 50, depending on if you were a starter at your position or not by the end of the game. So, um, Another another kind of like uh, kind of respect to McDermott for kind of down this stretch. He has really started to find his groove, figure things out, understand what he needs to do to win football games in a multitude of ways. So props to him. What we're going to do now is, well, we're going to recap the score. 31-17, the Bills get the win. We're going to do we're going to put a bow on this with our game balls and game checks. Because Luca, I have three different questions I want to ask you that you are not prepared for. We did not talk about this, but they're kind of, we call it like a game. Uh, they're kind of look ahead questions, if you will, but let's, let's, let's do game ball game checks. We can even go a little bit longer with this. Cause I know we haven't mentioned AJ Klein and we haven't mentioned Kyrie Elam, some guys that really stepped up when they were needed today. Maybe um, <clears throat> we can make a point to mention them, even if they don't receive the game balls today. Um, but let, let's do it. The bills win 31 to 17. They advance to the divisional round of the playoffs. The bills are one of two teams, Luca, to make it to the divisional round of the playoffs at least each of the last four years. And I think it's easy to look at the Bills and think, oh, this Josh Allen era has been a disappointment. But when you look at the Miami Dolphins, who now hold the longest playoff win drought going back to 2001, don't take for granted how hard it is to win a playoff game consistently in this league. And the Bills do it as consistent as anybody outside of Kansas City. Luca, the way this segment works is game ball is pretty obvious. It's your game MVP. Game check is the direct opposite. Who didn't even need to show up and who would you like to have hand in their game check? Who gets your game ball for the Bills 31 to 17 victory today? This one's got to be an obvious one. Uh, I'm just going to be quite literal with it. Josh Allen. I mean, yeah. just the, it's it's a cop out, I guess you can say in a way, but ultimately it's like, this game is nowhere near what it is without 17. The run, the 52-yard touchdown run, I will say I even, so on my ride home after dropping off my buddy at his house and stuff, the drive home, I, I called my wife and stuff, and I asked her if she watched the game and stuff. I wouldn't have been surprised if she said no. Shout out her. She did all by herself. Um, she said she even got up and kind of celebrated that Josh Allen run. like And like she's not overwhelmingly going to do, you know, emotional reactions to things but that run was something special uh that that was all time and that's one where you know josh allen's at an all-time high confidence and i mean 21 of 30 it's not for 203 it's not shocking stat numbers three touchdowns though zero interceptions even the national media even nick wright can't get on him about a turnover he was putting the ball exactly where it needed to be time and time again like I even mentioned, one of those incompletions was just due to an unbelievable play, to be quite honest, by a linebacker or else he would have had probably another, what was that, like 30 yards and another touchdown. It's just one of those things where he was on, things were clicking, everything was going great. And overall, Josh Allen, it's the no-brainer answer for this. He absolutely deserves a game ball. Yeah, I mean, he... The Bill, Josh Allen is the ultimate wild card, the way he can run, the way he can throw, the way he can just do things other people are not humanly possible to do. Uh, a lot of that was on display today. Um, just to not double up on Josh Allen, I will go a different direction. Some people that I'm not going to go with that I think deserve some some um, credit, 
Dalton Kincaid, Khalil Shakir coming up big. Kincaid's first ever playoff game. Shakir's, uh, you know, first playoff run where he's been an integral part of the team. He did, you know, play a little bit in the Miami game last year. He had that big drop that people remember. James Cook continues to be a consistent weapon for this team. Um, and then on the defensive side of the ball, I'm going to shout out Dorian Williams. I'm going to shout out Dane Jackson. I'm going to shout out Kyrie Elam. I'm going to shout out Cam Lewis, even though Lewis did not play well. These guys got thrown into the fire where many of them were dressing, thinking they were going to be core special teamers today. And by the time the second half rolled around, they were playing very important roles on defense. And then I'm going to shout out Micah Hyde and Jordan Poyer, who had at one point in time, five backups playing in front of them. And they kept it all together and held the Steelers to 17 points. Sean McDermott also deserves some credit for that. But I'm going to go with linebacker AJ Klein, Luca. Fresh off the couch, and this quote from A.J. Klein is an absolute beauty. Dan Fates from Rochester said, A.J. Klein said he had a family trip planned this weekend to go down to Key West. He was packed up. He had packed up his truck and RV this week when he got a message from Brandon Bean. Tonight, he led the Bills with 11 tackles. Now, look, nobody's ever going to confuse A.J. Klein for Matt Milano. Nobody's ever going to confuse A.J. Klein for Terrell Bernard. But A.J. Klein has one of the most unique Bills careers you could ever ask for. Last year on Thanksgiving, A.J. Klein came off the street, not off the not off the practice squad, off the street, and played 100% of the snaps on Thanksgiving. Today, he came off the street and all of a sudden was basically the green dot player on defense, leading the team in tackles, and played excellent. Well, there were a couple plays early in the game where he was in the wrong running lane. Yeah. That's okay. He's off the street. And for AJ Klein to come in, settle down the defense, hold down a position that the Bills were absolutely taking on water at, and to play at that level when he was packing up an RV for his family to go on vacation last week and to come in and play in an NFL playoff game against the Pittsburgh Steelers in these conditions. Oh, yeah, game ball, dude. Game ball. And if this Bills team ends up going on a run and winning a Super Bowl, AJ Klein's going to be one of those players that beers are on us every time we see you at the bar in Buffalo. It's going to be one of those like Ryan Fitzpatrick type people where maybe you weren't a great player, but you're you're one of us. Like you're one of our people. And and kudos to him. A- anytime his number is called, he steps up and keep the context in mind of what he is and what he's not. I think the Bills would still rather have Balen Specter out there. I know they'd rather have Terrell Bernard out there. They'd rather have Matt Milano out there. But when all those guys were gone and it was A.J. Klein and Dorian Williams who flies around 100 miles an hour but doesn't always know which direction he's supposed to be going, the Bills got it done today. A.J. Klein gets my game ball. All right, Luca, with the good, there's got to be some bad. Whose game check would you like to revoke for their performance today? Oh, Sam Martin, by the way. Credit for toughing it out through the second half. Um, Hamstring injury, going out there and punting, holding on the field goal. Like That's not nothing. That he, the team could have been in a really bad spot. Don't know if he's going to be ready to go next week, but Sam Martin also credit. Who gets your game check? Yeah, I mean, for the brand, Sam Martin and the positive, but what was not good for the brand and who gets my game check award is Tyler Bass. Yeah, Tyler Bass has been off. Like, he he has not been great this year. Um, it's not that he's been horrible, but it was noticeable early on on the first extra point of this game that he was kicking just these low bullets today. And it's what inevitably led to that block that I wasn't even comfortable with it. And I don't even recall 
Josh, I don't even have it in front of me to be quite honest, but I don't know how long that one was. I know it wasn't, you know, a chip shot by any stretch, but 49, the one that was blocked. Yeah, it, it yeah. was it wasn't exactly what we'll call, you know, uh, 55 plus. Right. It's 49 right. yards. One you expect your kicker to make in his own stadium. Right. This is a kick you would want to make. But I had not the most confidence even before the kick happened because of that extra point being such a low bullet kind of kick. And of course, unfortunately, for all of our sakes, it was exactly what that was. It was a low bullet. And then afterwards, I don't know if it was blocked because it was on the far end as well. But that knuckler that missed, I, I don't know if it was just a true knuckler, if it got tipped as well. He was just kicking the ball low. He was not striking it well at all. Just nothing about, I think one extra point may have crossed above the top half of the uprights. It, it was just Tyler Bass is not having it right now. And that's not a great thing to be kind of feeling about your kicker going into these big games where you even highlighted it. The, the likelihood next two matchups you have that means you're at a severe disadvantage in the kicker matchup where you are of course playing Harrison Butker with the Chiefs and then it more likely than not we'll say although I do like those Texans more likely than not you're playing historically the best kicker of all time in Justin Tucker and it's like you just you need that kicker to just get things done and it seems like it Something's going on with Bass. I, I I keep having these kind of flashes of what the issues that were happening all the way back in that giant Sunday night game. And it just continues week after week where you don't necessarily feel the utmost comfortable that Bass is going to get everything done and every kick through like you used to last year and years prior. So Tyler Bass, unfortunately for you, man, you get my game check award. It's cause for concern. He was so automatic for so long for this team. And whatever is going on with him, he hasn't been as automatic this year. And you mentioned it. There's games coming up where the Bills are not going to be 10-point favorites. And they might even be an underdog if they advance past the Chiefs the next two weeks if they're fortunate enough to play through the end of the season. And uh, you're not going to be able to afford having your kicker miss kicks like that. And, um, you know, they got to get that figured out and get it figured out quickly. And they may have to do so with a new holder, which is not going to be easy. Hey, the punk god's available, by the way if that's a route the Bills <clears throat> would like to go. My game check award is going to go to a guy who scored a touchdown in this game. Dawson Knox um, starts the game off with a touchdown. Dawson Knox has now started off four different Bills games with the first touchdown of the game. He did it in Kansas City in the AFC Championship game. He did it against the Colts. He did it against the Dolphins last year, and he did it against the Steelers today. The Bills um, are 3-1 and one in those games. But Dawson Knox, unfortunately... Uh, had a very easy drop on a third down or on a first down play that would have, you know, had 15, 20 yard gainer to really get the second half off good. And the drive ended up going nowhere. Pittsburgh goes down, gets a field goal. And all of a sudden the game feels a lot closer than it should have. And my biggest complaint about Dawson Knox in his time with the bills is how inconsistent he is. And on a day where Gabe Davis isn't playing, you need other guys to step up and you hate to, and you know, I know this is called game check, but when you look at the actual game check and you start looking at who really is financially expected to step up in these moments, Dawson Knox is paid awfully handsomely to catch passes that hit him in the chest. And when you have a rookie who's catching, who's high pointing passes in the end zone, lasers from Josh Allen and coming down with touchdown grabs, then you have Dawson Knox dropping catches in his pa or passes right in his chest. It's disappointing. It's kind of been the story of his career. He'll make 
he'll make a great play and then he'll just he'll drop one that he should catch and it's 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 very disappointing um they're gonna need Dawson Knox along the way I still think he's a good player uh the problem is Dawson Knox isn't a great player and I think maybe he's just like above average at this point in time and, and the bills are gonna need more out of him uh, but otherwise not a whole lot to have complaints about I thought you were you were right on with with Tyler Bass too. I think that's a bigger concern at this point than Dawson Knox. Luke, I have three questions for you. We're going to start off with the chiefs. Chiefs beat the dolphins this weekend. Pretty handily. I was rooting for the dolphins to win that game. Cause I wanted Mahomes out of the tournament, but it feels right that the bills have to go through the chiefs. This will be Patrick Mahomes first road game as a playoff quarterback. It'll be in Buffalo. Uh, we know the injuries that happened today. You have seen the Bills and the Chiefs play this weekend. You are aware the Chiefs have about a 48-hour rest advantage on the Bills, but they are traveling to Buffalo. That has to count for something. Sitting here right now, when the Bills opened up as a two-and-a-half to three-point favorite, depending on what site you're looking at, what is your confidence level here on Monday night that we are recording that the Bills will be able to get this done? Seven. Okay. I'll give you a flat seven. Just a nice right out the gate. I... It, my confidence is far less skewed by anything related to the Bills and just truly is something related to the Chiefs. And what I'll say is, on our live show, we mentioned how I was sitting there going into that game against the Dolphins rooting for the Chiefs. And it's truly because I believed if you ranked in its future projection and it's not that I was looking past the Chiefs there's reasons that then I also welcome the Chiefs in Buffalo which I will get into in a second but even looking past that the first and foremost reason was I like the Browns and then I even like the Texans going into Baltimore in that matchup rather than the Dolphins going into a matchup with the Ravens because I truly believed that if there's a chance to then potentially get the Ravens knocked out of this contest which I tr I believe is the greatest threat to the Bills in the mm. AFC. It's like those are the teams that I would rather potentially try. In all reality, is it more than more likely than not that we'll have to end up in Baltimore if we get through the Chiefs? Yes, of course. The Ravens are the Ravens. They could beat the Browns. They they could have beaten the Browns, and they can potentially beat the Texans. They, they are favored in that game, understandably so. They beat them in week one. A lot of things have changed since week one. CJ Stroud has gotten a little bit more confident in the NFL since then. Um, but overall, and the Texans have gotten more confident in him as well. Wink, wink. But overall, the thing with the Chiefs to me is I think people are getting too caught up in just believing it to be Mahomes, Reed, all the history, all the dominance they've had for years and years and years. I can understand if you go, that is worth a little bit of something experience-wise and just being comfortable in big moments, yes. But the, the product you see on the field for now 19 weeks, 18 weeks of games out of the Chiefs, I other than them beating down the Bears the week after Travis Kelsey and Taylor Swift were announced as official, other than that week, I genuinely cannot remember seeing a game where I thought the Chiefs were the Chiefs. They are not the Chiefs of old. They are the Chiefs of new. They are a completely different team and animal right now. And I don't mean that in the sense of they're a big threat in a different way. They are just a different team. I think Mahomes is, of course, still incredible in his own right. I think Travis Kelsey is being held by a lot of scotch tape 
and band-aids like there is something there to be said i he is far from the hall of famer he's an eventual hall of famer let's be honest but he is far from the hall of famer that he was last year and years prior and then outside of Rasheed rice the receiving stuff is just not there and in years past and playoff games past the thing the downfall for the bills has been tyree kill they Rasheed rice all credit to him he's a very good player he is not tyree kill Okay, I think that's a very safe thing to say and have on the record. He he can be a very, very good player for years to come. He's been great for the Chiefs right now. If they didn't ever see Rice, I would seriously question where they would even be at this point as a team altogether. And then the entire offense does not run through Mahomes right now to be successful. It runs through Pacheco. I like that situation a whole lot more because now you're just taking the ball out of 15 in Red's hands. And that is fine with me. So that thing is there. The defense is one of those things where I do think they're a great defense and very good defense. It's just there are things to be had. They, I do think they get away with things at times, especially at home. And there, there are a lot of opportunities that I believe the Bills, especially with what we're seeing of late out of the Bills offense, that they can absolutely attack on the Chiefs. And that mainly is, I think the Bills have truly mastered that game behind the offensive line and everything that can happen there with James Cook and the run game. And then in between the numbers down the middle of the field, they have become a very, very good team with Kincaid, with Shakir in the slot or anyone else for that matter, getting your guaranteed touches, which a lot of times do come on quick screens or even bubble screens out of slot to dig so on and so forth. They're working the middle of the field and they're working in between the numbers very, very well right now that I think that's the place you can get at the Chiefs, and we are just such a good matchup for against them that I am, I don't want to say very confident because seven is not exactly a very confident number, but I am fairly confident as I was even prior to this game with the Bills and Steelers and any injuries that may have happened and whatnot that I feel good with Mahomes coming to Buffalo that the Bills should be able to take care of business because this just quite frankly is not the Chiefs team that we've, become accustomed to from years past they are just different they are not the same dominant force that you truly fear if they were we would probably be going back to arrowhead and that's all i'll say to that i yeah i'm with you i i watched that dolphins chiefs game and was not impressed with the chiefs offense it does make you hope that the bills somehow some way can get douglas and bernard and taron johnson out there for next weekend's game because you mentioned it really, it is a one man show on their offense because Kadarius Tony was a healthy scratch this week. They're, um, they're throwing Miko Hardman out there for important snaps. You're, you're right about Travis Kelsey. Like he's a hall of fame tight end, but it's a lot like Gronkowski in the later years until he went to Tampa Bay and kind of revived his career a little bit. You could even say that, uh, Travis Kelsey's career has taken a swift turn for the worst. Oh my goodness Had speaking of kelsey by the way jason kelsey good. looks very emotional right now. he looks so. very retired he's <laughs> 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 very retired i had yeah. the same i had the same thought watching aaron donald last night by the way just a just a mm. quick little aside the mm. extra extra long hug he gave raheem morris on the sideline made me think that either one he thinks raheem morris is gone or two it looks like maybe he thinks he's done but no it looks like uh kelsey's done hopefully the other kelsey brother is done next week. Yeah, I'm not I don't fear the Chiefs. Uh I mean I do. I, there's there's some PTSD there, but this isn't the the bad draw that it's been recently. The Bills offense is going to have to score points and hopefully they have enough dudes on defense 
to make the Chiefs offense look as bad as it has looked the the uh, majority of this year. Question number two, Luca. The Bills are on a six-game winning streak, if you include the playoffs, prior to this weekend, this winning streak, which actually started in Kansas City. No, this one started, yeah, Kansas City, because it was New York win, Philadelphia loss by, then it started in Kansas City. Prior to that win, an article came out from Tyler Dunn that was basically, you know, some people have called it a, um, a hit piece. I, I would not say it's a hit piece, but there was a lot of negativity in there about Sean McDermott. Did not paint him in the best light. Six-game winning streak. He is now one of two coaches in the entire sport to win playoff games each of the last four years. On a scale of 1% to 100%, how safe is Sean McDermott's job right now? Is there anything outside of like Sean McDermott sexually harassing 10 different people in the front office, like in the next week, right? You know what I mean? Like something that they have to fire him because, you know, he's a horrible human being. Like he just Sean Watson's himself out of here. Um, You know, whatever. Um, Is there anything, is there anything football-y that can happen that would make you think that it's not a hundred percent. He's coming back. Yeah. I'm not a hundred percent there. I, I, okay. I I'll put it at like 95%. Uh, it, like I'll still say he, he is 95% safe right now. There is still a world. I can believe it. If the bills were to go out next week against the chiefs and duplicate what happened to the Bengals last year in the divisional round, I can absolutely live in a world with some of the options available out there as well that Terry, um, although I think Terry loves Sean McDermott as a human being and gives him all the benefit of the doubt in the world. So again, that's why I find myself at 95%, but I could see just the disappointment yet again, an embarrassment, uh, you know, happening once again, where essentially it essentially puts the idea in Terry's head that it's becoming stale, stagnant. It's just not working anymore. We've plateaued, whatever you want to call it. And we just need something else because it feels like what's on the field is good enough. So there has to be something else that's just holding this team back from taking that final step or steps to get where a lot of individuals believe it should be, especially with 17 at, you know, under center. So I, I just think, Barring something of that, he's safe football wise. I, I I'd put it at ninety five percent because I'll say, hey, there's there's a five percent chance that what happened against Cincinnati in the divisional round last year happens again. There's absolutely a chance. Like you can't say no. Fifteen could go nuclear on the Bills. Like it could absolutely happen. But um, overall, I don't believe that will happen. I think it'll be a tight game. I think the Bills and Chiefs always play tight games. That's just what they do. I, I would, you know, as I even said, I have a seven, seven confidence. Wow, that was a wild cutaway. Sorry. They just cut away. Ba- <laughs> that, was, that totally distracted. Baker Mayfield's running down the tunnel, and he is winding up to slap someone <laughs> from behind. <laughs> and they, and cut, they away. cut away, and you don't see who it is. <laughs> yeah. You don't see who it is, and you don't see the actual impact. Like, it's just him winding up. Sorry. Anyways, um, barring that crazy scenario you know stuff like that i think it's gonna be a tough game and as i said the chiefs i give that game a seven confidence that the bills should be able to take care of business let's say the bills do take care of business like i think they should be able to that would 
then eventually tipped me to that hundred percent in football wise. I can't imagine that. Did you see the cutaway? Oh, I saw it. It was like lined <laughs> up and the guy was not ready for it. Oh yeah. No, no. Um, but yeah, if, if the bills can take care of business, let's say, um, or even if it's just, I mean, as long as it's not a coaching lull or error that leads to the loss, we'll say, and it's a close hard fought yeah. game. Um, I, I believe that would be a hundred percent then McDermott safe and we'll just be seeing him again next year. I think 95 is a good number because I think the two scenarios you laid out are probably the ones that could at least make the, the conversation one, if they get completely outclassed on their own field again, like a game that you're favored to win a game that you have home field advantage, like this is what they've been building toward is yeah, they've had two losses in arrowhead, but get in our building. And if they get out coached outclassed by the chiefs in Buffalo injuries aside, I think that could make Terry Pagula say, okay, we've hit our ceiling here. I, I don't predict this is going to happen, by the way. The other thing is what you just mentioned, a coaching error. If, if you have a repeat of 13 seconds or the meltdown that happened against Houston Texans where the game seems to be won and the Bills pull defeat from the jaws of victory and find a way to lose in a mind-numbing way, that could move Terry Pagula off of his spot. But no, I don't feel like the Bills beating the chiefs next weekend and then, you know, going to Baltimore and losing like 30 to 20 in a game where it's just clear one team's better than the other would, would get McDermott fired. And I don't think that, you know, the bills losing a heartbreaker to the chiefs where it's a back and forth game and, and Butker just puts one through the, the pipes at the, you know, the final buzzer would move them off their spot either. I, I think, uh, I think from that standpoint, McDermott's probably safe, but <clears throat> man, these games, they mean a lot. Jerry Jones was in tears. You could tell the Eagles ownership, was not happy with how this game ended. Josina Anderson's putting out cryptic tweets about big changes coming to an NFC East team that nobody's expecting. So we shall see. Final question for you, Luke. I have to remember what I was going to ask you now. Oh, I know what it is. <clears throat> so there are four teams left in the AFC, the Houston Texans, the Baltimore Ravens, the Bills, and the Chiefs. And we are certainly not overlooking any of those teams, especially the Chiefs who have ended the Bills seasons now twice in the past three years. And the Ravens are the one seed for a reason. But let's play an imaginary game, Luca, where the Bills make it to the Super Bowl. The four teams left in the NFC, the Green Bay Packers, the San Francisco 49ers, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, and the Detroit Lions. I want you to rank those teams for me in a magical world. Not that benefits you financially on bets you've made preseason. <laughs> in a magical world where you can you can pick the Bills' opponent for the Super Bowl that would give you the most confidence the Bills are going to win that Super Bowl from one to four. How would you shape up the NFC? The most confident they would win? Yeah. Um, I would have the most confidence they would win if they were playing the Bucks. Mm -hmm. Then it would probably be the Lions. Interesting. Then the Packers, then the Niners. Okay. I think the Packers, man. I, I am so sick of hearing about the Packers defense is washed and not good and all that kind of stuff. Oh, they're showing. Hold on. Sorry. I'm, I'm going to pause a little bit and tell because they're showing Baker Mayfield running down the tunnel again. And I want to got it. the mascot too, by the way. Oh, did he? Mm -hmm. Hold on. Yeah, it was a coach. It was a coach. Yeah, he was real excited about that one. Mm -hmm. um, okay. Uh, so Riveting uh, podcasting stuff. Yeah. Uh, so I'm so sick of hearing about the Packers and how their defense is just crap and all that stuff. I think what you saw in Dallas and yes, okay, Dallas put up 30 points, but let's let's all be realistic about it. What, 20 of them came in garbage time, which insane to say in a playoff situation, but that is the real that was that was real when it came to that game specifically. Um, I, I think they're 
that defensive line for Green Bay is way underrated. I think Preston Smith and individuals that they have there are very, very good. They're strong. They're very, very uh, powerful defensive line that that can really push you off and, and create havoc both in the passing game and run game situations. And, and then overall, like the Jair Alexander situation is going to be interesting defensively. Like we'll see what that injury is like and whatnot. I don't know what the update was there. Um, but overall, I, I think they do a good enough job. And then that offense for the Packers, man, we, we kind of even you, you without even trying to really brought them up early earlier. And it's like, I, I think they just do an incredible job. And I love the point. They brought it up on the broadcast and it's a great point to bring up. I'm so happy. I think it was Greg Olson that brought it up. They trusted their guys. They didn't bring in a veteran guy. So Jordan Love feels comfortable that he can just do his job and he doesn't have that veteran, doesn't have that true alpha number one in his ear that's concerned about targets and looks and things of that nature. And he can just truly throw to what's open, take what's available. And for a young guy who now finds himself in the position that he is with Jordan Love, he he can just do what he feels most confident in and trust what he sees and just go there and understand that, Hey, today might be a Romeo Dobbs day. Like it was in Dallas. And then next week's going to be a Jaden Reed day because he just keeps seeing him open and whatnot and, and so on and so forth. Like he can spread the ball. He can spread the love, stuff like that. And things spread the love it, and things just work out in a way very, very well for them right now. And they're clicking on all cylinders. So I do find the Packers, as entertaining as that game would be, Josh, because I think entertainment-wise, Lions most entertaining. Packers would be the second most entertaining to me. Um, all that aside, I do fear the Packers a little bit more so than the other matchup we are going to be seeing now in the division round with both the Lions and the Bucks. I think the Bucks, of course, you have to be the most comfortable with. I, I think the Bucks are doing things that are really impressive right now. They beat an Eagles team that honestly was killing themselves for the past four or five weeks, but it's in all reality, I think the Lion, Lions fans have to be living in dream world right now, understanding that not only did they win their first playoff game at home in their first home playoff game in forever, but now they get another one that they didn't anticipate because the Packers took care of business with the with the Cowboys. And then on top of that, rather than getting a team that was represented in the Super Bowl with the NFC and the Eagles coming to the building, they get the Bucks, a team that a lot of people, including yours truly, thought would be a bottom five team in this league being led by Baker Mayfield. And it just probably wouldn't work out. So you have to be through the moon that the Buccaneers are coming to your house with the opportunity to go to an NFC championship game, either against the Niners or even hosting, God forbid, the Green Bay Packers in the NFC Championship game, which if you get Lions Packers in the NFC Championship, buckle the F up because that is going to be a fun one. But overall, going back to the original one to relay what I said, love the comfortability with the Bucks. Then I would put the Lions just because the Lions, that is one where it's like that defense is just bad. It, Aiden Hutchinson is the only thing working for them. Jack Campbell, shocking, is not their savior at middle linebacker. Not that he's been awful, awful, but he's not anything special, people. Um, and then you put the Packers there because I think they're humming on all cylinders. And then I think there's even a little bit of distance here, Josh. I will say the Niners are clear cut, like <laughs> clearly the most fearful team in the NFC because there's a real discussion that even that game against Baltimore was flukish in a, a, a weird way, and they could still be potentially the best team in the league. Are the four best quarterbacks in the playoffs all the AFC quarterbacks? 
Um, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yes. I think the only debate would be Love and Stroud. Yeah. And I I really have been impressed with Love. I, I really have. I, I liked him going into the season, and then it was really disappointing early. I mean, I, I it's documented that I betted on the Packers a bunch yeah. of times early in the season. And then he figured it out, and he's been playing really, really well. Um, it's just CJ Stroud is he is he's even better than anything I even possibly imagined when I saw how special he was every time I watched him last year. Like CJ Stroud, I have even it's funny. I was going through our last year's draft stuff, Josh, in the test draft board I made. I still even had the one where I put CJ Stroud number one to the Panthers. And I still look at that and I go, man, did the Panthers screw up? Because that was the clear pick. And I even had like, yeah. I, I don't know how you didn't do that. But regardless, even the what I imagined at that time where I was like, the Panthers have to take CJ Stroud, it'd be a joke. Like he's far exceeded those expectations and he is incredible. So yeah, I'd probably give him the bump over love. So yes, the four best quarterbacks. Ironically enough, as crazy as the AFC has been, and there's been backups everywhere where you had Joe Flacco's leading a favorited Browns against CJ Stroud. It all came back to exactly where it felt preseason where all the quarterbacks are in the AFC and here we yeah. are that that's exactly what the scenario is I'm excited to see how it plays out man if the Bills get by the Chiefs next weekend it's gonna be a lot of fun <clears throat> and if our guy CJ Stroud wins in Baltimore on Saturday wooey. now granted CJ Stroud wins in Baltimore after smashing the Browns <laughs> we might be able to talk ourselves into that game being kind of, look the deeper you get into the playoffs like the Giants aren't showing up. Like you're gonna play a good team. So, but just an AFC championship game in Buffalo. I know one game at a time. And I feel like the playoffs now kind of do start next weekend for the Bills. They they survived this Steelers game. This was kind of the gift they got for winning the AFC East. Um, you know, and, and now we'll see what they can do with home field advantage against these Kansas City Chiefs. We have all week to talk about it, Luca, all week to think about it. You and I will be back on Friday night for Bill's Chat Live, ready to break down the second week of the NFL playoffs. And obviously it'll be capped off by Bill's Chiefs on Sunday night at 6.30 Eastern, Nance and Romo on CBS. And then we'll be back on Bill's Chat Monday morning to break it all down. Hopefully it is a very happy celebratory show where we're talking about the Bills finally putting down the Chiefs and Mahomes and Andy Reid and Kelsey and Taylor Swift in that order. Um, by the way, I, I feel like I should say this. People need to get off of Taylor Swift's back. <laughs> like, I know, I, look, I'm not the biggest music fan. Maybe you are. So, like, I know how big of a deal Taylor Swift is. I'm not, I, I'm not naive to that. Uh, but the fact that she gets made fun of for cheering on her boyfriend is weird to me. Like it's, she's, she's rooting for the chiefs and it's like, Oh, she's a front runner. No, she's, she's dating a chief. Like <laughs> it all makes sense. If you don't overthink it, like she's, a, she's cheering for the team that her boyfriend plays for. I know wild. Like Luca, if you, if your wife yeah, was, no, a, was a professional soccer player for some, some team in Omaha, you would own a bunch of Omaha gear and be at the game cheering her on. So. Yeah, no, definitely. I mean, it, it's funny. Like music wise, I am not a Swifty. I am far from it. I am not a, there's a whole nother discussion there. I'm not going to be the person that all of a sudden gets canceled by Swifties everywhere because of words I say, but Luca at, <laughs> at Sabres regardless, regardless. Um, 
what I will say on it is, yeah, I'm with like the whole dynamic where then people are hating on her for this singular reason that she is, you know, going to all of Kelsey's games. It's like, look, Kelsey somehow has found a situation where he is dating an individual that is worth $800 million and can afford to do something like what she's doing. It's like lucky for him. <laughs> like how, how blessed is he or her and or her to be able to afford and do something like that. I, I will say a funny conversation before we go, when we were, when I was walking out with my buddy, we're going to our car. I said, how funny would it be if all of a sudden Taylor Swift decided not to show up in Buffalo next week, because Buffalo is just not up to her standards to root for her boyfriend at that time. Boy, would that be interesting? But overall, I can't see that actually happening. Um, I would imagine it's, I mean, it's a playoff game. It's a divisional round game. Her boyfriend's involved is Travis Kelsey. So on and so forth. Like, I would imagine she will be at that game as she showed. She keeps going to all these other games. Um, but yeah, it's it, like you're saying, it, it's just a significant other that is rooting for her. Uh, the person she's in a relationship with. Yes. It just also so happens to be probably the most famous female in the world. And the one that is worth potentially the most in the world. I don't know what net worth of women, you know, in general, what anyone is worth at these days, but I know she is like 800 million or whatever. And it's like, yeah, she can afford to do these things. She can afford to be there for her guy and do whatever. Yes. It is Taylor Swift, but like, just let it be that like, mm -hmm. just, just let it be. It, it, I'm with you on the, it does seem a little strange if someone wants to attack the chiefs or her or the media or whatever, whoever's highlighting it because of that it's like well no that makes that part of this is fine and makes sense i don't know why you have a problem with it has a chance to be a real celebrity show next week and taylor swift will be in attendance benny the butcher will be in attendance um maybe Haley steinfeld will be in attendance putting uh, benny the butcher and taylor benny swift the butcher is <laughs> it's a little bit of a reach uh nick wright has said he will be in attendance oh, so that'll be, wild. that'll be fun all right well luca let's get out of here Hopefully the next, well, the next time we talk, we won't know what's going to happen because it will be Friday night. Bill's chat live. Be there or be square. Come hang out with us Friday night. It'll, it'll be an anxious night. We'll know all about these injuries. We'll know if by like some grace of God, Terrell Bernard's ready to go. Uh, <laughs> Christian Benford, Rasul Douglas, Gabe Davis, Sam Martin, Taryn Johnson. There's a bunch of them. We got to figure it out and we'll figure it all out together. Tyrell Dodson. Uh, for Luca, I am Josh McCarty. The Bills get a playoff win against the Pittsburgh Steelers, 31 to 17. They are moving on to the divisional round, and we are too. We will see you next week on Bills. Show.